0: For the new year, so with the new year rolling around, uh, this is a time when many of us would be considering what resolutions do we need to make related to the new year, and James is going to give us a little bit of insight into a way maybe we should shape those resolutions as we look to this idea of what is wisdom, how can wisdom influence the life that we live, and so the, all of that flows into this part seven of the series through James that we kind of took a break from for the Christmas season, but we're returning back to now. And we'll specifically be looking at James chapter three, starting in verse 13. So if you have a copy of God's word, we'd invite you to find your way over to James chapter three today. And let me just echo what Keith had said already. Congratulations, you made it here. Made it to a new year, but also you made it into church on this new year. And I'm thankful for those of you who made your way here today. Uh, For some of you, that meant that you stayed up past your bedtime last night. So that you could ring in the new year that is 2023, but still you made it a priority to come and to gather with God's people and to hear God's word applied to your life. And I'm grateful to those of you who have made that a priority in your lives here today. And for many, the New Year's experience is often accompanied by well those those common phrases we refer to as New Year's resolutions, those sorts of resolutions for a better year, a better life that we make when the new year kind of comes to the seam leading into something new. And I came across a survey of adults who made New Year's resolutions for 2022. That will help us to understand the most common source of resolutions that folks are making now that the new year has rolled around. Here are the top five resolutions from just last year. And apparently, people make more than one resolution. Those who actually make these resolutions the 48 percent of individuals surveyed resolve to exercise more. That's a noble ambition. Maybe that's one that you've taken up for the year 2023. Also in 2022, 44% resolved to eat healthier. 41% resolved to lose weight. Probably related those two. 34% resolved to spend more time with family and friends. And 24% resolved to live more economically or frugally, you might refer to it. And these are all good habits to refine, but I find it interesting that in that top list of the most common resolutions that were made for 2022, none of those had anything to do with that which would enrich an individual's spiritual life. These resolutions are primarily aimed at improving physical stature or maybe Emotional health, if you think about gathering together with family and friends, or financial health, if you think about being more frugal. I heard of one guy who came to February, and he'd made a resolution that he was going to lose 10 pounds in the new year. His wife saw him standing on the scale there as he was kind of taking inventory, and she asked, hey, honey, how's that resolution to lose 10 pounds going for you? He said, it's going pretty good. I've only got 15 more pounds to go. New Year's resolutions, they can be hard to keep. They can set us on a trajectory that uh, gives us a burden, and sometimes we find a struggle in the midst of that as we try to make these objectives that we hope will make a difference for us. But we can have others, like a wife maybe who's looking on you as you stand on the scale, who would be there to support you, who can encourage you through those resolutions. That's what we want to be as a church. We want to be a body of believers that rally around one another to encourage one another. When, When there are things that you are striving for, as you strive to aim your life such that you would honor and please the Lord, we want to be a body that comes around you and gives you support gives you encouragement gives you resources so that you can thrive in what God calls you to be and that's what we want to be in this body that we call new vision fellowship that's why we covenant together to protect the unity to share the responsibility to serve the ministry and support the testimony of this body We want to stir one another up to love and good works. We want to encourage one another as the day of the Lord draws near. This is what God calls for us to do in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. This community of God that stirs one another up, encourages one another to pursue Him. So this morning, I I want us to take our New Year's resolutions into the spiritual realm to consider whether there might be any sort of resolutions that you or I should make which would draw us closer to the Lord for the coming year. And I ask you, are there resolutions that we as a church might allow one another to make and encourage one another to fulfill, hold one another accountable in as we look to this year that we've now stepped into That is 2023. Now, all of us could use an occasional reassessment of our priorities. And in the passages before us today, we return to that study of the book of James that we were in before Christmas titled, When Faith Works. James, this divinely inspired half-brother of the Lord Jesus, he was Mary and Joseph's son. James is now the chief elder in the church at Jerusalem. We find him acting in the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council. It's James who stands up to kind of render the verdict for those elders that have gathered together in the city of Jerusalem. Great leader in the early church, but also one who wants to drive home this message that you and I need to know that faith isn't just this This hypothetical sort of thing that never results in a change in the lives that we live. No true faith, genuine faith, authentic faith produces works in the life of the believer. It's not works that bring that faith. No, God's already done all the work that's needed so that we can take hold of that faith. But when we take hold of that faith, that faith then results in a life that is lived for the glory of the one who has saved us. And so we're seeing so many things about what happens when faith works, when we look at the book of James. And today we're going to see that working faith affects our priorities. Faith reorients the things we aspire for, reorients what we're pursuing, leads us away from a disorderly life. For when faith works, we live with wisdom. From above, wisdom is something that we all need. Matter of fact, Proverbs chapter four, verse seven, tells us wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom, and and whatever else you get, get understanding. Wisdom and understanding; these these concepts they go hand in hand. What is wisdom? Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines wisdom as good sense. As Christians, we might simply describe wisdom as the ability to view life from God's perspective. Knowing that perspective helps us to understand the complexities of the world that we live in and to navigate those complexities in such a way that we ultimately strive for and accomplish success that would honor the one who has created us, and if you are a Christian who has redeemed us. So as we turn to God's word and as we see James' exploration of wisdom and understanding this morning, let's consider how each of us might resolve to pursue wise priorities for the new year. If you're able, I would invite you to stand and we might honor the reading of God's word as we turn now to James chapter 3. This short passage, beginning in verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Here ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. So in this passage, James really, with some vivid words, paints for us a couple of pictures that show us the contrast between those who are wise, those who are living by true wisdom, and those who are unwise, those who are buying into a system of wisdom which is not in accordance with God's design. He's going to give us some very vivid words. We're going to find a rich opportunity to dig a little bit deeper into some of these words as we consider this picture that James is painting for us. And as he does so, we're going to get a chance to kind of evaluate which of these pictures does my life fall into? Does your life fall into? The picture of the wise or the picture of the unwise? And as we explore this passage together, I want to give you four questions to consider if godly wisdom has its proper priority in your life. Does godly wisdom have its proper priority in your life? Here's the first question to help you diagnose that Are you wise and understanding? Right at the outset of verse 13, James launches into the topic of wisdom and understanding. And he does so by putting the spotlight on you and me. He asks this question. Who among you is wise and understanding? I dare say all of us want to think that we are wise. We want to think that we have our own special handle On The world and how the world works and how we can thrive if we're living in the world according to the wisdom that we have. We acquire a certain amount of knowledge about how the world that we live in works and we presume that that knowledge then makes us wise. Most of us have this kind of picture of our own that's painted in our minds, which gives us a confidence that we've got a good handle on how the world works and how it should be navigated for success. But James shows us that we'd better be sure our pictures of ourselves line up with the proper standards of wisdom. It's not enough for you and me to have knowledge. Knowledge alone doesn't automatically result in wisdom. Getting a mountain of college degrees or reading a whole library won't, therefore, just by the fact that you've accumulated knowledge, produce in your life wisdom. You must have wisdom to be able to apply knowledge in a way that honors the God who made you. And all of us, I would dare say, know people who are very intelligent but have difficulty with the simple tasks of life. They have difficulty with wisdom. I know from my secular career, many individuals who can tell you all that you need to know about computer systems and programming and how to pull it all together. But they can't figure out how to prioritize their lives to do away with destructive habits that they've been battling In the summer of 2012, a devout churchgoer in Spain named Celia Jimenez noticed a painting that was on her church's wall there in Spain that was flaking and it was fading. It's a picture of Jesus that had been painted almost 100 years before. And as this 81-year-old lady uh, looked at this painting, she began to be concerned that if she didn't act, The face of Christ, which had been painted there on those church walls, she was concerned that might just disappear forever. So she set out on that day to repaint the face of Christ on her church's wall. But before she was able to finish the job, she had to leave town, and in her incomplete efforts... uh, The local historical society actually wandered in one day and noticed that that which had once been a beautiful historical painting had now become something like what you're going to see on the screen here in a second. The transformation you see from the original painting to that which had flaked away to now, here is what Celia Jimenez had done to restore the painting. And her restoration at this point, Went viral. That historical society painted it. They were irate to think that someone had destroyed such a beautiful original picture with such a malformed renovation project. And as a result of that, there were uh, ultimately uh, a rebranding efforts. Whereas the original author had titled this uh, work of art "Ecce Homo." Meaning in the Latin, behold the man. That's referring to Pontius Pilate's words about Jesus. The internet instead rebranded Celia Jimenez's work as Monkey Christ or Potato Jesus to the humor of so many online. You know, sometimes we can be like that in our own estimation about who we are and the sort of humility that we have, how wise we are, how understanding we are before the Lord. We think we've got a good handle on how life's supposed to work. We, we think that in our own minds we have this picture of who we are and how we're living. and we, we presume that everything is perfect the way it needs to be with our God. But if we're brave enough to post our life's work for others to see in all its glory, chances are you and I would find the apparent nature that we've made a mess of things. And James, as he pulls out the magnifying glass here, he wants to show us all that true wisdom consists of. Ultimately, true wisdom is going to point us toward growing in the image of Christ. It's going to point us in a direction that takes us away from those ugly blurs and strokes of things that we've made and takes us to the true image of the one who calls us to himself. And so this leads us to the second question to consider if godly wisdom has its proper priority in your life, which is this. Where do you get your wisdom? James, in drawing this contrast between pictures of true and false wisdom, shows us the source of our wisdom matters. And you either get your wisdom from above or you don't. That's why James says to Uh, the individuals in the early church that he's writing to in verse 17 that there is a wisdom from above. And then he speaks about a wisdom which does not come down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic here in verse 15. So you might refer to one of those as the wisdom from above and the other the wisdom which is from below. Which sort of wisdom do you live by? Wisdom from above or wisdom from below? Wisdom from below, James shows us those three qualities of it. Earthly, natural, demonic. Wisdom from below is earthly. It functions on a horizontal plane. It looks only to this earth. It looks only to the world that you and I trod on to measure its truth, to establish its standards, to measure its successes. It's wrapped up in what practically works, what brings the best return on our investment, What produces a good outcome for the present moment? What causes us to thrive amongst those who might see us, whom we interact with? Wisdom from below is also natural. The word translated natural in verse 15 is the Greek word sukikos. It's the word from which we get our English word psyche or psychology would likewise be from this word. Uh, It's a word that applies to the self. So in addition to looking to the world around us on the horizontal plane, James shows us here that wisdom from below also looks within. It looks to our own reason, our own feelings, our own attitudes, our own passions. And these inward motives of yours and mine work together to fashion how we live if we are driven by wisdom that is from below. Wisdom from below is also demonic, we find in verse 15. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that if you are living with wisdom from below, the demons are pulling the strings in your life. But it does indicate that if you're living by wisdom from below, you're living in a way that contradicts God's truth in such a way that Satan would put his stamp of approval on your life. He would put his stamp of approval on the wisdom that you say that you have. And Satan has been giving this stamp of approval for quite some time. He kicked off his influence of the wisdom from below way back in Genesis chapter 3 with the first woman. And there he convinced Eve that there was a better way than God's way. He convinced Eve that God wasn't giving her the full truth. There was something greater she needed to hold on to. Some better plan she needed to pursue. And ever since that time, Satan has continued to tempt. He's continued to deceive individuals. He's continued to try to convince us that God's way isn't the best way. That God's word isn't the fullness of the word that we need. And people continue. To buy into Satan's lies. People continue to strive to take the rightful place of God's throne and serve as the lords of their own lives. Wisdom which comes from the world that we live in. Or from the creativity of our own minds. Or from the influence of the deceiver is not true wisdom. James wants you to know. No true wisdom is wisdom which is from above. what does it mean for wisdom to be from above? Well, there's a lot that has to do with what's above when you think about being a Christian from a biblical perspective. As Christians, we look to heaven for all that we need. Our citizenship is there, according to Philippians 3.20. Our Father is there, according to Matthew 6.9. His treasures, those true and lasting treasures that we aim to achieve, Those treasures which cannot be stolen by thieves and eaten away by moss, those treasures too are in heaven. They are not on earth, according to Matthew 6, verse 19 and following. As Christians, we are born from above when we trust in Jesus Christ, according to John 3. Now our home is in heaven, John 14. Our hope is in heaven. So we're commanded to set our affections and our attention on the things that are above and not on the earthly things, which are around us, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. That's why we must understand that true and lasting wisdom is ultimately wisdom which is from above. And that's the sort of wisdom that ought to direct our priorities in life. As Proverbs nine ten reminds us, the fear... Of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Okay, let's bring that down to a practical level. How about you? Are you seeking out this wisdom from above? Is your life being fueled up with wisdom from above so that faith can work through you? To produce a life lived with wisdom from above. Well, how do you receive wisdom from above? Well, let me begin with a word of warning. If you don't know Jesus, you can't know true wisdom from above. The Bible reveals in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Colossians 2.3 shows us that in Christ, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So to be a true Christian means that you've yielded your life to Jesus Christ. You're now found in him. He is your wisdom. He is the source of your righteousness and your sanctification and your redemption. So listen, if you want to live by true and lasting wisdom, you want to live by wisdom from above, the first step for you is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. To come to him is to come away from your own efforts and your own estimations, to trust in all that he has provided by his power, all that he has revealed himself to be. It's to realize that you're dead in your own trespasses. You're dead in your own sins. You're in need of a life that you cannot produce on your own. But praise God, it's a life that he's offered to you that you can take hold of simply by faith, by trusting in his finished work. For out of grace, out of his love for you, out of his Desire to provide out of that love the the greatest of your needs. God sent his only son. That he might live the righteous life you couldn't live. That he might die the death, uh, the punishment, the separation that you ultimately deserved in your place. Christ went to the cross of Calvary to be the righteous substitute for unrighteous you and me. And he came to purchase your pardon. He came to you, offer you life, so that if simply by faith, you will trust in him. You'll give up your personal pursuit. You'll give up your efforts to gain your own righteousness, to work your way back to God. And you'll say, I can't do it on my own. I'm a sinner. I'm fallen. I need a rescuer. I need a savior. And so I entrust my life to that one who is Jesus. This is God's plan. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Romans 10, 9, 10, 11 tells us. So I ask you, have you received Jesus as your Savior? If you know Jesus, you have the mediator who connects us to wisdom from above. But God doesn't just immediately give us this surgery which implants wisdom into our hearts. It's not a microchip that he just puts into us the moment that we come by faith. No, we must seek God's wisdom. And we seek God's wisdom through God's Word. God's Word, His revelation to us, is the source of wisdom which is from above. Our worldly wisdom, the wisdom from below, comes from our own reason. But God grants us his wisdom from above through his revelation. And it is through God's word, the scriptures make us wise unto salvation. Second Timothy three fifteen. So I ask you, are you pursuing wisdom by reading God's word? We've got some great tools to help you get kicked off of that. Veranda's already been talking about them here today. A new Bible reading plan where we as a body, again, we want to be here to support one another, to encourage one another in this work. We can read God's Word together week in, week out. And we've got it broken down in such a way you're reading a chapter a day for five out of seven days a week. You've got a couple of days you can take a break, you can catch up, you yeah, might actually miss it, you can get caught up later in the week, all right? That Bible reading plan, there's copies of this out on the Welcome Center, they're on the table out in the lobby. That's the same thing if you text hashtag plan to that same number you texted earlier. You get a digital copy of as well. Some of you have noticed too that we have these devotionals that we put out. They're provided to the church free of charge. We can't take much credit other than we kind of put the order in, but hey, every day there's a devotion in here, just a short reading, something to direct your attitude, direct your heart to God's Word, uh, give some little prayer prompts in here, a little bit of a, a, a lesson from life that ties to the Scriptures, just a way to think, a way to meditate, a way to tie in with truth from above on a daily basis. We want to be here to resource you for these things. Take advantage of the opportunities that are here before us as a new year begins, Are you taking in God's written word, the Bible? We would love to be partners in encouraging you with that. You need a copy of God's word? Let us know. We'll get you one. We should also note that earlier in the book of James, we saw in chapter 1, verse 5, that God generously gives wisdom to those who ask for it. When you ask for something from God, what do we call that? That's prayer, right? Another avenue. How do we tap into this rich resource of wisdom from above? Cry out to God. Ask him for that wisdom. Be in regular communion with him. Let him know the burdens of your heart, what you're struggling with. He knows them already. But listen, he's chosen sometimes through that struggle, through that prayer, through that communication to reveal his will to us. And prayer is ultimately that situation where we're seeking not our own personal will. Sometimes we tend to pray that way, right? Sometimes we tend to pray, nevertheless, not your will, but mine be done, right? But no, the reality is when we come in prayer, we ought to be seeking just what Jesus sought. As he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. And sometimes that opens our eyes to the wisdom that we need for the trial. For the situation. For the diagnosis. For the struggle. For the relationship. that burdens us here on this earth. The opportunity, the avenue through which we can allow wisdom to flow in our lives. Exalting the God that we know. And so... Are you asking God for wisdom through prayer? Think through what resolutions you might need to make. Are you aiming your life only at the things that you can find on the horizontal plane? Only the things which satisfy your cravings within? Only the things which establish your own kingdom and allow you to rule from your throne? Remember. Only that which finds its home with God will endure for eternity. If you and I spend our time scrapping and biting and clawing and striving with all that we are towards that which does not have its root and its destination and that which goes on forever, that which is above, then we are wasting our lives. Where do you get your wisdom? That's the second question to help you consider if godly wisdom has its proper priority in your life. Here's the third question How does your wisdom impact your living? James continues to remind us through this passage that authentic faith rooted in a wisdom from above produces visible works, visible results. In fact, the word that's translated deeds here in verse 13 is none other than that word ergon, which we've seen translated works so many other times, right? We talk about chairs being ergonomically designed. They're designed for work. James continues to drive us to this mentality, this understanding, this reality, that when we have genuine faith, it produces genuine works in our lives, Wisdom from above produces good behavior and gentle deeds, according to verse 13. And to come to Jesus is to discover a whole new framework for how life ought to be lived with Jesus as our Lord, with our attitudes pursuing His will. And a life of a person with wisdom from above ought to be changed toward the good A genuine Christian with wisdom ought to be striving to obey God's word. But if you live with wisdom from below, that wisdom will impact your living in a very different way. So James tells us here in verse 14. Really, two heart-level characteristics of someone who doesn't have wisdom from above. He says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, You see those two heart level characteristics? Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart. If you have those, James says, don't be arrogant and so lie against the truth. James is saying, don't step up to the plate. Don't raise your hand. Don't say, hey, I'm the one who has wisdom and understanding if you have these things in your heart. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, put that hand down. James just lays it out there. If you say you're wise, you say you're understanding, but you're harboring bitter jealousy, you're harboring selfish ambition in your heart, James calls out your bluff. He says you're being arrogant. You're exalting yourself in your own mindset higher than where you really are in reality. You're lying against the truth, James wants you to know. And friends, there is a worldly wisdom. That can lead you to become bitterly jealous. It's a wisdom that's settled in something other than the things which are from above. This worldly wisdom says, go ahead. Promote yourself. You're just as good as anyone else. Why should they have what you don't have? Why should they get to do what you don't get to do? Why should they get to post the beautiful pictures on Facebook and Instagram of those exotic places when you never get to go there? Worldly wisdom leads us to a sense of entitlement, a sense of hatred of those who have what we believe we deserve. Is there any of that hiding in your heart, my friend? Do you rejoice when you see others succeed? Are you happy to see that teammate make the big play? Are you happy to see that coworker get the promotion? Do you rejoice when that neighbor gets the opportunity to get a new car? Or do you secretly envy those who succeed? You criticize others so that you can elevate yourself above them in the minds of those whose adoration you're striving to obtain. Be careful because you may be living by wisdom which is not from above. You may think you have wisdom when all that you really have is bitterness and jealousy. Worldly wisdom also leads to selfish ambition. And the word that's translated selfish ambition, both in verses 14 and 16 here in this passage, is an interesting word. It's a word that was used by the Greeks to describe a politician who was out canvassing for votes. The world's wisdom says, get all the support you can. Formulate your faction. Establish yourself against those who aren't like you. Ask people if they are for you or against you. And the heart of an unwise person is characterized by a hunger to push himself or herself to the top. But there's a better wisdom than the wisdom of this world. It's the wisdom that's from above. And James lays out a litany, eight of them as a matter of fact, characteristics in verse 17 of an individual who is living with wisdom from above. He even prioritizes them. Those living by wisdom from above are pure. We read in verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure. That word first means first in rank. What's the top priority for someone who's living with wisdom from above? James wants you to know it's here. It's purity. If you want to live your life with the wisdom from above, you will steer that life away from sin You will pursue holiness. There is a man's wisdom. There is a lower level wisdom. There is a wisdom which is not from above, which says, let me do what satisfies my flesh. Let me do what serves my agenda. But God-given wisdom cleans up our motives, and that flows through into the actions which we carry out, which are pure. And James ultimately wants us to see that purity is something to be prioritized. Is purity a priority in your life. Jesus said, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God." Matthew 5:8. Next we see that those living by wisdom from above are peaceable. They're peaceable. They love peace. Man's wisdom leads us into competition. Man's wisdom, this wisdom from below, leads us into rivalry. It leads us into warfare. We gain knowledge, and yet we apply that knowledge in order to destroy others. That's where a worldly wisdom would lead us. But God's wisdom leads us to peace. Our natural tendency is to want to argue. Our natural tendency is to want to start fights. Our natural tendency is to be unwilling to budge and to lose our tempers. But wisdom from above beckons us to be people of peace as we represent the prince of peace. God's wisdom causes us to avoid making enemies out of others. It causes us to avoid giving up on others because we have a God with whom we were once enemies. But he extended the lifeline to establish peace with us We have a God who could have readily and quickly, easily given up on us, and yet he pursued us. And so, wisdom from above says, be one who makes peace. Once again, Jesus has a promise, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, Matthew 5, 9. Those living with wisdom from above are also gentle. This word, translated gentle, describes a person who's willing to put his rights aside in order to pursue a higher ideal. Being gentle in this way means that I may not get what I'm craving. But I'm okay with that because I trust in the God who is the author and the giver of every good and perfect gift, as James has already established earlier in this book. So when I don't get maybe what I'm craving, I won't grow bitter, I won't grow jealous knowing that someone else maybe has what I want because I trust in the giver. I trust in the one who distributes those good things. I trust that he knows what I need, and I will rely on what he gives to me. Those living by wisdom from above are reasonable. In the Greek, this word comes from a combination of the words for well and persuaded, meaning one who handles persuasion well. Man's wisdom makes a person hard. Man's wisdom makes a person stubborn. But a person with wisdom from above is willing to hear all sides of an issue, is willing to take into consideration, maybe my take on things is wrong. Can I find the truth when I hear all sides of this thing? And this doesn't mean that we're a pushover when we take hold of wisdom from above, but no, we can disagree without being destructive. Sometimes people think that being stubborn is a virtue, okay? My family will probably tell you that I tend in that direction, okay? But being stubborn is not a virtue. When God's wisdom is at work, we find ourselves wanting to listen, wanting to think, wanting to learn, wanting to pray, wanting to obey whatever God reveals as we seek Him by evaluating what is before us. Those living by wisdom are, uh, from above are also full of mercy, James shows us here. Mercy is the manner of living that looks on somebody with compassion when they probably actually justly deserve punishment. It's to look on someone who's done something wrong and to overlook that wrong to be willing to bear with them, to be willing to even roll up your sleeves and to get into the pit with them in the midst of their wrong and to want to help, to want to make a difference, to not look down with condemnation that says you deserve what you've got so you go on and deal with it yourself, but to look and say, look man, I know you've done wrong, I know you did some things that ended up here, but I want to be a help. I want to help you get through this thing. And those living By wisdom from above, are full of that sort of mentality. They're full of mercy. That's what we found in God. In spite of our sins, he chose to bear with us. He chose to offer us the grace of Christ. We are the ones who have found mercy that triumphs over judgment, according to James 2, verse 13. Next, we see that those living by wisdom from above are full of good fruits. Faithful people, James wants us to know, are fruitful people. God's wisdom won't leave you as an empty person sitting around on the couch like, what do I do? Well, I got wisdom from above, so I guess I'll just hang out here, me and the cat, whatever animal you got. Faithful people are fruitful people. You won't be an empty person if you find this wisdom from above. You won't find yourself in such a state that you have nothing to do. No, God's wisdom will make you a person who is rich with God's resources and is ready then to pour those resources into others for the glory of the one who's poured them into you. Next, we see that those living by wisdom from above are unwavering. This word suggests a singleness of mind. It's the opposite of being double-minded, something that James had already warned about. When you lean on the world's wisdom, you get this pressure from one side or another, right? What does this person think? Okay, let me go with that for a little bit. Oh, wait a minute. I'm getting pushback from this other person. Let me adjust my position. Well, what do the Republicans think? Well, let me go that Oh, wait a minute. The Democrats seem to have a positive outlook on this. Let's go. And you end up in this torn state. You end up in this sort of situation that's double-minded. I don't know which way to go. I don't know which ideal to pursue. But when you lean into the world's wisdom, that's where you find yourself. Divided. Now, contrast that with tapping into God's wisdom. When you tap into God's wisdom, you don't need to worry about how the other side will respond on the position that you take. You're on God's side. And if God is for us, who can be against us? There's no need to waver. So we can be decisive. We can take our convictions. We can hold them dearly to ourselves without being afraid of what the consequences will be. Because ultimately, we know the one who holds the consequences in his hands. And then finally, we see here that those living by wisdom from above are without hypocrisy. They're consistent. They don't hide behind a mask. They don't live one sort of life when they're at home and alone, and a different sort of life when they're out amongst people. They don't have one manner of life during the work week and another manner of life on Sunday mornings. They don't hide behind a pretense. They don't have to act like they care. No, because when God's wisdom is at work, there's an openness, there's an honesty that leads us to speak the truth in love. We could take off the mask We can let God's word and God's will be known, but we can do so in such a way that's striving for the betterment of those that we interact with. I don't know there's a lot to chew on here. These words paint vivid pictures of what it's like to be living with wisdom from above or to be living with wisdom that is from below. Which picture? Which picture do you find yourself in? If we're honest, there may be a little bit of each one of us that thought that we were painting a Mona Lisa of wisdom, but now we find that we're actually smudging up a monkey Jesus in the process of our lives. So let this day be a day of honest assessment. Don't hide behind the picture you wish you were living. Be honest. Let this be a day of resolution for you as you... Seek wise priorities for a new year. How does your wisdom impact your living? That's the third question to help you consider if godly wisdom has its proper priority in your life. Here's the final question. Where is your wisdom leading you? Where's your wisdom leading you? Dr. Stephen Kerchevsky is the co director of the Sticks Center for Healthy Aging just down the road at Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. He's recognized internationally as an expert on how nutrition influences the health and disability of older adults. His focus has been on how things like vitamins and protein and exercise and obesity early in life lead to certain qualities later in life and his extensive research has led Dr. Kurczewski to iterate the following the primary message is that what happens to us at the end of life has its roots earlier in life I don't think that would surprise any of us every life is a matter of reaping and sowing we reap just what we sow it's true in the spiritual parts of our lives as well James shows us in verse 18 that the Christian who obeys God's wisdom sows righteousness, not sin. He will ultimately sow peace and not war. Worldly wisdom, on the other hand, will produce worldly results that we find in verse 16. Disorder. Every eatable thing. Again, we're talking about priorities. If there's disorder in your life, do you have the right priorities in place? No. And I just want you to think through the last year. Think through where you've been. What are the results of the wisdom that you've been leaning on this past year? Some of you tuned in to football games last night, and you saw a couple of teams in the college space that were right on the verge of a championship. And for some of those players, this would be the last game they would ever play in their lives. And I remember that sort of setup for me when I was in high school. I played football with our team, which was so awesome. We went 0-10 my senior year, okay? Just, just so you know, the level of quality of team that we had. And I remember going through that last game, playing my senior season. I'd played all four years. I played a lot of games, okay? Well, I sat on the bench for a good number of games, but I played some games, okay? We come to that last game, and I'm there, I'm starting, and... I remember just giving it all I had. Knowing this was the last game that I would have the chance to play, I put it all on the line. I left it all on the field. And I remember coming out of that game and talking to one of my buddies. I was on the offensive line, and one of my best friends was on the other side of the offensive line. I told him, man, I just, I left it all on the field. I played so hard. I said, man, did did you have that same experience? He said, I've been doing that every game. It really made me think, you know, I probably should have been doing that every game too. But when you look back to your prior year, have you left it all on the field? Have you given God all that you had? Have you devoted yourself to pursuing him? Have you taken the wisdom from above and lived in such a way that your life would exemplify that you left it all on the field? Or are there priorities you and I need to adjust. Are there adaptations to the lives that we live that we need to make? So take that estimation of last year and apply it down to the new year that has begun. What results do you want to see flowing out of the life that you are now living? Are there wise priorities for a new year that you need to adjust? Because ultimately, friends, when we tap into this wisdom from above, when we, by trusting in Jesus, by allowing his word to sink into our hearts and our lives, and when we, by prayer and our regular communion with God, seek this wisdom from above, different brush strokes start to come across our lives. A different picture starts to emerge, and ultimately, at the end of the day, God begins to do a work such that poor, pitiful, broken, disordered you and me begin to look like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do you need to give God the brush in your life this year? Where's the priority of wisdom that needs to be adjusted for you? To borrow a phrase from Home Depot, you can do it, we can help. Really, we might be better off to say, God can do it, and we want to be a help. We want to be instruments in His hand. We want to be the church spurring one another on to pursue His will, to live with wisdom from above. That's the heart of what we do together. When we sign covenants as a church, for those of you who are maybe new here who haven't been through our membership class before, The bigger sheet that's on this table, not for you, not yet. Okay, If you're interested, that's the membership class that we talked about coming up two Sundays from now. We'd love to have you come. You can learn about what it means to be a member here, why we covenant together. But if you have signed the covenant, if you have ultimately become a member of this church, we renew that covenant every year. It's a way of us kind of establishing our priorities for the new year to say, hey, I'm still on board. I'm still encouraging. I still want to be a part of this body that is empowered by Jesus to love my brothers and sisters in Christ so that they can become all that they need to be. And so that's what we're doing in this opportunity. We're renewing our covenant. And I just wanted to walk through the elements of that covenant one more time. As we renew our covenant, what is it that we're saying that we're going to do? As members of New Vision Fellowship, we each covenant together to the following I will protect the unity of my church. How so? By acting in love toward other members, by refusing to gossip, by following the leaders. Secondly, I will share the responsibility of my church. How so? By praying for its growth, by inviting the unchurched to attend. By warmly welcoming those who visit. Thirdly, I will serve the ministry of my church. How so? By discovering my gifts and talents, by being equipped to serve by my pastors, by developing a servant's heart. Fourthly, I will support the testimony of my church. How so? By attending faithfully, by living a godly life, by giving regularly. When we come and we sign these covenant forms, that's what you're going to find printed on them. Our renewal of this commitment, whether you just joined the last week of December or you joined a long, long time ago, we renew it all together as we come to the beginning of the year. And then let me also revisit our vision. What is it that we as a church are striving to be? We put this together as a roadmap of showing how we want to be catalysts enabling you to take the next step of faith, to put the wise practices in place that will help you to grow, help you to thrive with wisdom from above. And so I just remind you that our desire is that as many as God allows would be found, formed, fired, filled, flowing. That's the nature of the posters you see, the banners you see hanging above. So our desire is that as many as God allows would be found and invited to encounter God here. And so we're saying that we multiply God's glory on the earth. Our mission to multiply God's glory on the earth is accomplished here at this phase by multiplying magnifiers of his name. We want an outlet for you to come and to worship the one who's made all the difference for all of eternity for you. And so we're striving to lead individuals down this progression from being a part of the community to being a part of the crowd, those who are gathered here with us on Sunday morning. And so, a couple of diagnostic questions to help you think through where you are. Am I faithfully participating in worship services at a church? Am I open to hearing God's voice through the preaching and teaching of His Word? Next, our desire is that as many as God allows would be formed into a new vessel by God's transforming power. Here, we continue to multiply God's glory on the earth. How do we do it? By multiplying models of God's character. We want you growing into that image painted by the brushstrokes of the one with wisdom from above. And so the diagnostic here, the progression would be that you're moving from not just being a part of the crowd who are gathered here, but those who have been changed by learning and applying the word. And the diagnostic would be, have I entrusted my life to Christ? Am I practicing personal habits of holiness? Am I praying? Am I studying my Bible? Am I gathering with others to learn and apply God's Word? We do that through small groups so often here in our church. We'll have another semester of those coming up soon. Have I cleared the path to grow in Christ by seeking help with my hurts, my habits, my hang-ups? Next, we would say that our desire is that as many as God allows would be fired into a solid vessel, ready for God's use. We're taking this pottery analogy. You've taken the clay, you've molded it, now you place it into the kiln. You're being solidified in God's purposes. And so now we multiply God's glory on the earth by multiplying members of God's family. So we don't just want you to be a part of the crowd. We don't just want you being changed We want to ultimately develop those who are committed by partnering with the church, signing the covenants, getting involved, and stepping into ministry. So diagnostics would be, have I been baptized? Have I committed to membership in a local church? Can that church count on me to support its kingdom work through my participation in, in activities and initiatives? Am I financially giving to support the church? Next, our desire is that as many as God allows would be filled with truth and purpose for his glory. Here, we multiply God's glory on the earth by multiplying ministers of his grace. So now the progression is from not just being committed, but being commissioned by discovering, by using the gifts that God has poured into your life. And diagnostic questions would be, have I discovered my gifts? Am I using my gifts to contribute to the church's mission? Is anyone pouring the wisdom of a godly walk with Christ into my life? Am I allowing that to happen? Is anyone personally holding me accountable to live out Christ's will for my life? And then finally, ultimately, our desire is that as many as God allows would be flowing God's riches into the lives of others. Here, we multiply God's glory on the earth by multiplying missionaries of God's gospel. So it's a progression from being commissioned to being a carrier, ultimately by taking the gospel to the world. So diagnostics at this phase would be, am I investing in anyone else for the sake of the gospel? Am I sharing my faith with others? Am I open and actively preparing to go to the lost, wherever that may lead? Am I serving the least of these in practical ways that help to meet their needs and open the door for gospel work? What would the Lord have you to prioritize in your life? Maybe it's time for you to make a resolution to pursue His will. The smaller sheet that you'll see on each one of these tables gives an opportunity for anyone, okay? Whether this is your first time coming to church here today, Or you've been here for a really long time. all right? We don't want you to feel left out. This is for all of us. Because again, what are we as a church wanting to do? We're wanting to help you to take the next step. We're wanting to help you to draw from this wisdom from above. We want to be an instrument of God's aid in drawing you to himself and using you for his glory. And so this is titled Wise Priorities for 2023. Okay? And... Would you prayerfully consider, maybe there's a resolution that's listed on this sheet here today that you need to make, God would have you to make, God would enable you to make, such that today you would say, starting today, I want to resolve to do this thing. Maybe it's give my life to Jesus. Maybe it's improve my commitment to regular church attendance, or read my Bible more regularly. Or pray more frequently, these actions which will draw more deeply from that wisdom which is from above. Maybe it's to let go of that sinful grudge or that sinful habit. Maybe it's to plug into a new small group for Bible study and fellowship. Maybe you would resolve to be baptized as a display of the faith that you've taken in Christ or to become a member of this church as a sign that, hey, I want to invest in others, and I want to have others invest in me as I walk this walk that Christ has called us to walk. Maybe it's to serve the Lord in a new-to-you sort of ministry. You sense God calling you to find a new avenue, to plug in, to serve. Maybe God would call for you to resolve to be discipled by a more spiritually mature Christian or to share the gospel with others through evangelism. Or to serve unreached people through missions. Or maybe, just maybe, you want to prioritize the Lord's will in your life, but you're not sure what the next step for you might be, and you just want a little guidance. Those are the options that you have before you on this sheet. And so we're going to take a moment now to carry out both of those things, okay? And uh, if you don't sense the Lord responding in uh, some way to any of those, then... That's okay, all right? You stay where you are. We're not trying to force you to make some sort of decision or commitment. But if God's calling you in some way and you sense that there's some way that uh, you can respond and prioritize better his wisdom from above for 2023, this is an outlet for you to do that, okay? So whether you're a first-timer or a long-timer, we're going to take an opportunity now where you can fill out both of those sheets, okay? For those who are members here... You would fill out the covenant, and for anyone, member or not, you fill out the smaller sheet. And once I kind of see that our tables have cleared out, we'll close with a final word of prayer, okay? Maybe you just need to sit and silently meditate, pray, seek God's face for the coming year, rejoice in what He's granted you over this past year. But this is our time to renew those covenants and to respond to God's word, okay? So let's take the opportunity now. I'm going to lead the way and renew my covenant for this year. So come to whichever table is most convenient for you, and let's renew our membership and respond to God's Word. Thank you all for your involvement and all that that means to us as a church. Just drawing one more sense of encouragement here from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, the day is drawing near. Jesus is coming again for his own. But I just want to express my gratitude, my appreciation for your involvement here in this body to be those who are spurring one another on, encouraging one another as we await that day. Thank you for the privilege that is mine to be your pastor. And I want to close this with a final word of prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for the chance to be your body on mission for your glory. Lord, equip us, guide us, grant us all that we need, Lord, that we might be fueled up by your grace and your mercy and ready to pour that into the lives of others, including those who are brothers and sisters as part of this fellowship. I thank you as well, Lord, for those who step forward to take a resolution, Lord, to draw closer to you, to seek your wisdom from above. God, would you grant us your power, your wisdom, to follow through with these commitments on this day, Lord, that you might be honored, you might be exalted, that we might be enriched to enjoy life to its fullest here as we pursue you. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.